The goal of this podcast is to enable a better understanding of music as a fundamental part of Latvian culture. Vienna Balsi means in one voice. One voice for each guest, musicians, composers, performers, and one voice when people sing together and unite under one cultural identity. We are grateful to the American Latvian Association Culture Funds for their help. Don't forget to subscribe so you will never miss a single episode. And now, enjoy listening. Leibniz Lugt's Programma Vienna Balsi. Today we are very glad to receive Rainis Zarinch. Rainis Zarinch is a piano performer as a soloist and also in trio Palladio. He performed in North America, Europe and Latvia, where he received four times the Grand Awards of Music in the category Outstanding Performance. He recently released an album dedicated to Petris Vask piano works. Thank you very much for being with us tonight. My first question would be uh, about uh, how you uh, became a piano player, how um, you studied music, how, what were um, the people you met uh, that Uh, on your road, encourage you on practicing piano. Um, why specifically this instrument? Uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. So, well, first of all, thank you for having me here. It's um, it's nice. It's nice here, and it's um, not as hot as outside. Mm -hmm. These days, we are. Filming in the hot, hot, the hot peak in the summer of 2022. Yes. And, um, well, about my beginnings in music. Well, um, short story or long story? We have time, so you can do the long story if you want. <laughs> All right. Well, I think... Um, Well, my family is not musical necessarily, mm -hmm. so it it is not it doesn't make immediate sense that I would start off playing anything. But we had a piano, and I I find that a lot of families um, of the previous generations had a piano at home and had a very basic education in music as a, as a norm here, and so did my grandmother. I never heard her play uh, piano. I think I I didn't. But um, my mom says that she played quite well. Could play the Moonlight Sonata at least the first movement. So so she was reading the text and she could play simple things. So the instrument was there. And when I started my first things, then often she said, "Oh, you're lying! Oh, you're lying again!" Because I played the wrong note. And so, 
in that sense I had a quality control at home. Um, but then in the primary school um, I met uh, our singing teacher who actually um, was a concert pianist who needed extra income and um, his way of playing those simple songs incredibly colorful tasty that's how I usually call it that just grabbed me and I and I stayed near the piano every after every lesson and he soon noticed my interest and asked if I would like to learn any of this and so so I wanted and turned out he has a private studio and um, so I started learning soon um, turned out that I that he 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 had a very particular uh, teaching method to help very young kids grow very quickly mm -hmm. and um, I was it seems one of his best um, students in that sense so uh, he traveled with me in Latvia and also in Russia very early on um, giving lectures about his method and showing me as the guinea pig and so um, well I started when I was seven so that was already when I was eight and nine I was traveling like that my teacher's name is René Salaks, and he still teaches um, in um, Jasip Smedinch Music School, as far as I know. I haven't met him for a while. <laughs> and then, of course, competitions came and all these things that seem to be the usual fare for um, all young pianists who have some, some skill. And, you know, the first performances with orchestras when I was nine and first prize winnings when I was ten and so on and so forth. Um, and then I moved to Emil's Darzinsch Special Music School, which is where um, I actually live nearby there now. So my youngest child is now going there. So there's a already circle happening there. Um, I studied with Rafi Kharjanyan, who taught my first teacher. So I had like a generational continuation. And Rafi Kharjanyan was, we, well, we wouldn't say world famous, but at least this part of the world famous in his piano duo called Riga Piano Duo. And so he also encouraged me to play in a piano duo setting which was the first chamber music experience. Well, not the first, but one of the early ones that I had. And um, he, off he provided me with countless opportunities to perform, which I think is very important, that you not just learn, 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 but you get mm -hmm. to try it out mm -hmm. and uh, face your fear many times so that you learn how to deal with it. And... Um, that was that period, and at, at a certain point, um, well, I graduated and the Music Academy, two years in Riga, but uh, while in the Academy, I, um, I went for, for, for master classes in Holland, which are quite well known now, Holland Music Sessions, mm -hmm. and um, 
and there I met a professor from Yale University who whom I really liked his way was very different um, at, at those very few lessons that I had and he liked me and after those few those two weeks um, he asked if I would like to study with him now Yale of course as all the American universities is first of all very expensive <laughs> yes it is good good place to be in but it is very expensive ridiculously expensive so that people live with those debts for decades to come um, but a year later a Christian couple alumni who had um, so from from Yale decided to donate hundred million dollars to Yale School of Music. Yale School of Music is a tiny school in the midst of the big university. Just to this tiny school they donated hundred million dollars and as a result uh, the school became tuition-free. My professor Boris Berman invited me again. I applied, there was a competition and I got in. So I studied with him for three years at Yale and it was um, a very important time, I would say, because he started as if from the beginning again, not destroying everything, but making sense of everything. Previously, I learned intuitively. Now I learned with my mind as well and to, to use emotions with my mind as well. So all these things suddenly became not just intuitive, but um, kind of deliberate, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, his was and is a Russian school. I just was in touch with him. And, um, and so it's a little bit like kind of strong, strong way of doing things. So after Yale, I applied to several places and um, we ended up, we I say, because I already had a family by then, um, we ended up in uh, London, Royal Academy of Music, where I um, continued studies with Christopher Elton, who turned out to be the complete opposite to Boris Berman. The two are friends, but they are so opposite and what can I say in the end I've gained all sides of the spectrum like I've seen that kind of teaching and this kind of so what I gained from Christopher Elton was a very intuitive sense again back to mm -hmm. that but not in a childish way mm -hmm. more as a, something that's let's try things and play and um, <laughs> so that ended 10 years ago when I graduated and um, it was a conscious decision not to continue for another degree which I saw many of my colleagues did because it's cozy to stay in a university. Yeah. Are you a teacher you, yourself or not at all? I've, um, I've taught once in a while here and there but I, I don't teach regularly here. Um, not because I don't want to necessarily, but I don't seek it because um, at, the, at the moment I'm still um, qu 
quite busy performing mm-hmm. and I would say that I see it as my main um, task. Mm-hmm. So on the side I could teach and I sometimes do teach and if someone wants to study they can get in touch with me quite easily and probably it would work out privately. But I haven't sought it uh, because of, for example, in an institution teaching often is goes together with a lot of bureau- well, bureaucratic well, however you call it, but it's mm-hmm. not just the teaching but so many other things mm-hmm. that you have to deal with. Um, which takes time and energy and so at some point yes but not at the moment so here I am 10 years after graduating and I'm performing most of the time teaching sometimes and then doing some other things also <laughs> did you see the movie We Plush? Whiplash, yeah. whiplash. Yeah. I did see it. It's, yeah. it's, um, yeah, because, it's memorable. Yeah, because some moment you describe sounds a little bit in this kind of mood, very hard, uh, harsh. Yeah. Um, yeah, and of course, I think it probably for the movie to more to work, it was shown in an extreme way. Yeah, sure, indeed, it, it might be. Yeah. But what I have heard from the Russian school in general that it often is wild and violent even. Um, but then people from that side might actually be used to it and not take it so seriously. Mm. Whereas the more mild Western people cannot cannot don't know what to do with this kind of attitude. But... I can only say the best things about my Yale professor, uh, Boris Berman. Um, it's just that he, 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 he had a strong kind of opinion about things, and I really needed it at the time, um, something to hold on to that doesn't fluctuate too much. And then when I had grown and understood at least the very fundamental basic things myself, then these um, intuitive teachings from London were just right, I would say. I could play. So. (laughs) How do you enter into a particular score of a composer? What is the, the door for you? Do you start by something more intellectual, more intuitive? Do, do you want to get some more information? Do you listen to um, other interpretations that have been made in the past to uh, have a first point of view? How do you proceed? You mean when I have already picked the piece? Yes. Decided that I want to do it? Or, or maybe the question of picking the piece before feeling that you are ready for some composers or some pieces and not for others is already uh, a relevant question indeed uh, yeah yeah well in in my mind the picking of a piece is is a different thing from when i have picked and how do i approach it um, i remember that at school in latvia for for, for a very long time 
I I was told or maybe I heard it from others, but somehow I got this impression that, for example, you shouldn't play Brahms um, as a kid because it's playable, technically playable. It's not a lot of it is 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 not that technically difficult, but uh, that the meaning of it will not be there because you you haven't seen a thing yet in life, mm. you know. And um, when you said not ready for it, that's the first thing that came to me. But now I play Brahms a lot, and um, it's his his music is something that has helped me a lot during the pandemic as well. Um, I'm not sure how I pick pieces. Um, I have this thing that I can read quite easily. Mm -hmm. um, it comes from my mother's help. When I was small, she she encouraged me to read music at home, at the piano, and she sat next to me and she turned my pages whenever the time came to turn so that I wouldn't have to stop in the middle to turn. And so she could follow the music quite well. Um, and she and we went to libraries, music libraries, and just browsed, searched for something new, something interesting, especially in summertime. And, and this was one of our greatest joys. And as a result, doing this year after year, my sight reading became, I would say, very good. And so when I take a piece, I not only... If I open it, I can kind of hear how it sounds just by looking at it, looking at it, but if I sit down, I can also play it more or less. Maybe not the very fast things immediately, you know, but more or less I, I could get what it is immediately. And with new pieces especially, this is valuable because you don't have recordings often done just yet. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to find a way to, to get to know the piece. So this reading thing has always been fun. Now my mother <laughs> doesn't turn my pages. Uh, well, when she comes as a guest uh, to, to our place, she we actually keep doing that just for fun. But I have my uh, tablet and I can turn my pages with my pedal. So um, I don't have to stop <laughs> while I read. And reading through things um, really helps me to, to see how, how it feels under hands physically how the piece works and also to immediately get grasp the feeling how it might sound like when perceived by others and that's something I also keep as, as an important point that uh, it's important how people perceive it in the first time because mm -hmm. the second time might never come so there has to be something in the piece that at least something that can be grasped immediately and um, not enjoyed necessarily, but appreciated in some sense. And of course, people differ, but yeah, it's it's probably some aspect of beauty that I'm looking for in music or truthfulness, something like that. That. Um, 
that I, I need to find in the piece. It doesn't have to sound nice. No, that's not what I'm talking about. It doesn't have to mm-hmm. sound sentimental uh, f- for it to be beautiful or worthy. No, but just, well, we all know what's what's beauty. Yeah, we, we cannot often verbalize what it is, but we know it. And so that's what I'm what what I'm intuitively seeking, I think. So when I pick a piece, um, then the text is number one, of course, because we should be able to um, work with just the text, mm-hmm. unless we have more. Then, if it's a dead composer, <laughs> then I would Google up things uh, about the piece, if possible. Um, I would go deep if I have time. I remember I spent a lot of time with Schumann's Kreisleriana. Um, just to understand why he gave this cycle of piano works this title. What has it to do with Hoffmann's uh, writings? Because Hoffmann created the character Kapellmeister Kreisler. What has that to do with Schumann and his life and his life situation? Because it's it's quite a mystery um, unless you work through it and and untangle all the bits. And so I remember reading quite a lot of books um, until it clicked for me, and and yeah, so that was happy moment. Um, not all pieces have stories attached to them, nor they have to have. Um, but I, I like to know whatever I can know about the composer. Of course, I'm always limited with time. <clears throat> I, I don't have all the time in the world to read bo- countless books and hear and listen to everything. Um, I just get what I can. Um, internet helps a lot. Um, but then, if I get a living composer, that's the best, <laughs> because um, 
in a sense, I think that music is an extension of a human personality, human being. It's just an extension. So the, the human being is more valuable than the piece that he or she writes. Mm. But the piece that they write reveals them, their point of view, their these things. Um, it, it may teach something, yeah, you know. And um, so chatting with a living composer about just general things of life is, is so valuable to me because I, it, it's so much more than just the notes that they give me, they're the PDF that they send me. Um, <laughs> um, I just went uh, yesterday, I saw Georg Spelletis. Um, we are talk, talking about, um, he's 75 this year, and um, we are thinking of a solo recital program with just with his music. And so he showed me his bunch of pieces. And, um, but then also we looked through the window. Oh, here's the Maxima grocery shop. And he could just jump out of the window from the ground floor and go to the Maxima shop in his slippers or in his pajamas and buy stuff and come back through the window. <laughs> He's 75, but I mean, we can mm -hmm. joke like that. And um, then he showed me um, his earliest piece he wrote when he was in in the 11th grade. So how, how is it in Vimpatsenta class? So 11th grade probably is, is the mm -hmm. way to call it. Um, no one knows the piece. Uh, he hasn't published it, but he showed me the manuscript, and it's, it's a quite a crazy piece. Um, and and I said, well, what is this? This is this is not you at all. And he he doesn't play. He has arthritis now. But he goes to the piano, bangs it open, and starts to play this very very fast and like like mad like crazy and plays it from memory. He remembers this speech from eleventh grade, and and just so I will always remember how he did it like this character that he just showed me. And when I try to play that piece, you know, it's just invaluable. I would say. Similarly with the Peter Disvasks, you know, we just did this album, and he composed a new work for me to include in this album. So, again, he didn't just give me a, a score, deal with it. He invited me to his place and he we talked about why this piece and he revealed some very private things that that inspired him, that painful things that inspired him to write this piece. Mm -hmm. Now I see that he never talks about it publicly and so I also don't talk about these things, mm -hmm. but I know them. And when I play this piece, I, I sharply uh, feel these things. I, I think about him and how, how it came about that he wrote this work. Um, also, he, he played the whole thing for me from top to bottom. And seeing him play those notes in his way, is a very particular way. I count it as something super valuable that he played uh, that music for me. Because he doesn't play it, it... Well, of course he plays what's written. 
but he uses such nuances that one cannot write in the score. Or if one tried, it would look so complicated that we wouldn't know what to do with it. And so he writes in a traditional way, but he plays it differently. <laughs> and just seeing him do it, I ask him, are you doing this deliberately? That you're not going straight, yeah, but, but like this. And he said, well, yeah, of course, I mean, th this is how, how it goes. And so, yes, I had previously heard two of my colleagues, older colleagues, 10 and 15 years older, saying something along these lines. And I wondered, where did they get the, that information? How do they know that it should be played, that Vasque should be played like that? But then he played it like that himself. And now I see where they got that from. And so I think it's it's just just fantastic if one can get that. And of course, not always these relationships are so personal as with these people. Um, sometimes it's just purely musical things. But still, um, I think I everyone gains a lot if they have this interaction. Even now in the pandemic, um, because of the pandemic, I even though I prepared several premieres, um, I couldn't meet with the composers face to face. I, I was afraid that we would meet and then one of us would have COVID and then I would have to cancel the concert. So I decided, okay, let's just mm. do recordings. I'll send you an MP3, you listen, tell me what you think and we'll exchange like that. So that was purely musical exchange and still we fixed many wrong notes that were there because when they hear, when the composer hears, oh no, no, I don't want this, let's change it. They, they need the, to, to hear it back, how the music sounds. And we even fixed one coda, it was too short, let's make it longer, because the whole thing doesn't fit quite, quite well, it needs to be lengthened. These kinds of things, so that's why I say it's with the living people, it's the best. Even if they are considered geniuses from people uh, standing aside, standing in the audience, when you meet them, you just find out that they are normal human beings, and you can, you can, you know, you can, um, you can understand each other better, and you can understand the music better, and I think everyone gains by that. Is it different, or does it bring something special if the composer is Latvian? Do you feel more connected to him in a certain way? I don't know, because I haven't had this kind of relationship uh, with um, foreign composers mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yet, just yet. So far, the contemporary music that I play from abroad is often by living composers, but um, I just don't know how to get in touch with them, mm -hmm. you know, and um, so I use what I have. I use the score and I read what I can and I listen to recordings. Uh, but I think something with language mm -hmm. has to do with it that you can say a half, half word and you're understood. And <laughs> it's just um, something you can never get when when you use not your mother's tongue, I think. Um, 
but I'm I'm not so tied to Latvian music per se. I'm looking for beautiful music from everywhere. So yeah, it seems that the first quality of a performer, or in the way you decided to to do it, or you, the way you feel it, is to read and listen. The first thing you do, in fact, listen mm. to some people, read a score. And uh, I, I feel like you are some kind of sponge and really you, with huge empathy, you want to make something really yours and uh, all of this raw material will eventually be heard and transformed. And then there is some kind of translation in something else when you are playing the piece. Yeah, I think that I'm both very critical of what I read and also when when I have chosen to play the piece, then I'm very open to it and I let it take over me and I, I want I want to make it work. Even if I see things that are, to my eyes, I mean, dry professionalism, let's call it, to my eyes they are maybe not not so great, some connection points, some things yeah, in pieces, they, I mean, they are always... I want to make them work. I will do what I can mm -hmm. to help the piece reach uh, the audience in the best way, to give compliment to the composer, I feel that we 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 just need each other. Composers need the performers. Performers need composers, and it's a great responsibility. But when I've chosen the piece, <laughs> yeah. When um, <clears throat> you record um, something, do you have some uh, particular expectations in terms of sound on the way you, you work with a, the sound engineer or the producer of a record in terms of space in terms of presence or dynamic uh, do you work on this or do you only focus on performing inside the studio the, the experience of recording has not been always um, straightforward for me at all um, it's not like I have the whole complex of options available and just pick and choose whatever you like and try out. Um, most of the time there are limitations. The instrument starts to fall apart soon after so the tuner must go there. The time is short for the recording sessions. Um, the hall itself acoustically has its limitations so it can have what it can but not much else and then there is of course the view of the sound engineer how how it should sound in his eyes or her eyes in ears <laughs> should say not eyes um, and so in the midst of all of that is my interpretation that I need to hold together over several takes, you know, mm -hmm. and stopping and starting. Um, so I'm mainly concerned always with what I do, just to hold it together 
And um, what I've found is that the result is um, judged very differently by different people because it seems people have different tastes on this taste about how the sound should be and um, I haven't had a situation where several independent professionals would all agree on on something about sound mm -hmm. they each have their own way of seeing things and what they think is better than others and what is bad and so in the end I feel like I, I how can I know this how can I have the time to learn and really know these things even aside from what I do aside from my main thing so I let these things be and um, in the end I just I'm left to um, see from the feedback of people what they say also about the sound and then I can decide what to do onwards Sound engineers can be very obsessional people sometimes also with their little manic habits and wanting the sound to be yeah, in a specific way and so it can be difficult, yes. You know what I find also? Mm -hmm. When you listen back to it um, on, a, on a different set of equipment, mm -hmm. it sounds mm -hmm. so different. And, yeah. and how can you then say, well, this is the standard equipment and you must listen on it. Everyone will have a different equipment at home and many people will just be listening in the car or on their headphones, uh, cheap headphones, expensive headphones and speakers, all of these different options. <sighs> yeah, I, I really, I must say that I feel like I don't understand these things, but I don't also see a way how I can really understand them because mm. it's, it's something you should spend years on probably to understand it. So I understand that maybe you prefer live performance as... as um rather than uh, studio recording? Um, much more, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, with all its uh, difficulties and mistakes that usually always happen to everyone, with all that, the, the, the living audience, I especially felt it during the COVID that we didn't have the people there. I there's a huge difference when it's an empty hall and it's silent and it's a packed hall and it's dead silent it's a huge difference for the performer mm. um, and I I must say I I'm so grateful that I often have audiences who are dead silent even when it's packed and um so I, I would not change it for anything else, really. I mean, I would change it for some other things, but recording in the end doesn't reach... Um, well, it, it reaches people, but classical music that I do is, is not... By definition, is not that popular nowadays. Um, I'm not playing mainstream music that much, and so... So if I think what I'm looking for, for myself, what gain do I look for, then 
a live performance of course is much more beneficial also for me just to give me back this feeling that okay let's keep going let's let's keep doing this because it's worth it with with an album it's much less of um of this kind of feedback that one can get mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One, one gets reviews Mm-hmm. Some friends sometimes write, "Oh, I listened to your CD. It was nice," but uh, that's about it. <laughs> yeah, with with a positive thing that is, it's kept somewhere, and uh, the live performance can be recorded, but then and the feedback is instant. Yeah, uh, yeah. I saw you perform uh, the Goldberg Variations. Uh, in Zintari and um, it was a great moment sincerely it was really great and um, I saw you it was my feeling I saw you really deeply focused on that because uh, there is um, a huge history for this particular piece of back music especially since Glenn Gould was playing it so I would be curious to know um, how you came to play this particular piece and um, there, w- there will be a, about this an, uh, a question after that uh, uh, about how you prepare for life. Well, Goldberg was scary because of what you said, because of its history. But when was it? I mean, was it before the pandemic, I think, right? 19 or something... No, we were wearing masks in Zintari, so it okay. yeah, so it's a moment where it started to open a little bit, and I think it's something like February twenty twenty one. I think. Yeah. All right, I've yeah. completely forgotten this, but um, so I, I was asked if I would be willing to do this piece, and I said openly that I've I have never learned it before mm, you know I'm, I'm not the one traveling around with Goldberg <laughs> this is new for me uh, but I had their trust and so I prepared um, but when so what I find interesting is that before I started learning say Gould's recording was what I liked a lot uh, especially the, the later one but when I learned the piece, and this is the case um, with most pieces that I learn, when I've learned it, I don't like the recordings. I listen to them just to check if maybe I've missed something, what people mm. play, maybe there's a wrong note I've learned that I've not noticed. And, and that helps, of course, sometimes I notice these things. But all in all, I don't like the, the recordings. And uh, that means that I've, in the meanwhile, I've I've come to my own uh, reading, and that's my own, and that just should be this way. Um, so, so in particular, I remembered that with Goldberg, um, I was looking to make the piece as one whole, not like a not like a bunch of variations that just keep going and going and going uh, but how to hold it together as as if possible when, with one breath 
that you start and here you finish. And um, I struggled quite a lot with that, but I think I found some solution with that. And um, yeah, I'd like to play it again. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is an extraordinary piece of piano. It's yeah, it's uh, so. That's um, it's not to give. Well, I don't like numbers, but. Oh, how many times, for example, uh, did you work to prepare for for this particular concert? It was a how many times I worked. Yeah. What do you mean? How many days? How many days, weeks, or how long it takes? Yeah, how long it takes. It really depends. Um, so sometimes, um, sometimes the schedule when when I when when we plan something in say mm -hmm. 10 months 12 months onward it's empty and then by the time it comes it's full mm -hmm. of everything else mm -hmm. and so there's very little time to for for each separate concert but um with this one i spent considerable time um i think um it was half a year or so Intensely, yeah. Um, you look like that. If no, I'm, I'm unbelievably yeah. short or long. Both. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, long. I. Um, yeah, but half a year to prepare for for this. Of piece. course, I did other things, but those yeah. other things were probably yeah. something I had played before, just keeping yeah. it in shape. But yeah. this was the main task, and and. Um, I think because of its history, I was quite kind of afraid. You know, mm -hmm. let's let's just mm -hmm. spend. Um, well, in comparison, this is an hour-long piece less, maybe. Um, I prepared Messian's Twenty Regards on Newborn Christ. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a two-hour piece, and I took uh, several years to actually bring it together.
now when I bring when I want to perform it um, I also need at least six weeks to because I played from memory and to bring it back and remember and try it out again in front of some friends it it all takes a lot of time yeah I don't play everything from memory nowadays um, um, I find that I can do more if I use score you know playing from memory for pianist has been this kind of traditional thing for mm -hmm. ever since I don't know list maybe I haven't looked at this history so much but it has been like a tradition not so much for other instruments maybe for violin as well um, but other instruments usually play with the music um, but pianist it's not a show-off necessarily and for me playing for from memory is liberating because um, if I have the score I need to follow it to know you know just in case something happens I have to turn my pages I have to know with my eyes where I am exactly on the score and it mm -hmm. it ties me it's uh, it's more even risky to play with the score sometimes but when it's from memory then I can really be with the music and perform as it as if I wrote it and created it and so I become one with it yeah that's what I was about to say it really becomes a part of you yeah yeah do you have a special, I would say, way of life or things that you try to avoid regarding uh, to be ready when the, the concert comes? Some healthy way of life, I would say. There used to be this legend that some pianists have um, uh, some insurance for their hands. The, the, the Lloyd Company, I think, in in the UK, makes some insurances for that. Or I, I was one. Maybe this is a stupid question. Do you avoid to do things with your hands or uh, in, not? Yeah. It so. makes sense to ask yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because yeah, I need this. Like, mm -hmm. but um, do I cut my vegetables? I do. Mm. <laughs> um, when I wash dishes, and I do a lot, but I try to be careful. I know the places where I can injure mm -hmm. uh, with knives and other sharper things. But all in all, somehow, I I'm <laughs> I haven't injured in, injured my hands or anything. I asked about it as a joke uh, last week, and um, and turned out that in Latvia you cannot insure your hands or any other body part it just doesn't work the, the companies do not offer this so <laughs> but i get this question quite often um about insuring my hands so i well i i trust god almighty my creator and so i don't need to you know worry that well if he wants to take this away from me then of course he will take even without injuring me you know mm -hmm. so um, I in that sense I think I live um, trusting that um, it's a gift that God has given and I will be able to use it as long as he wants me to so um. <clears throat> have you ever been uh, tempted by well th th that would 
occur earlier, I suppose, in uh, your training and uh, education, but have you ever been tempted by improvisation in jazz or...? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I do that for myself as a therapy once in a while, especially when it's really tough and I don't want to see anyone. Um, one solution would be to go out of the city and be in the nature. That's where I would return to some kind of balance. But another way would be to play, improvise something, um, and express my condition. Mm-hmm. So it's quite wild when I do it. It's it's not nice. It's yeah, it's crazy. Uh, but because of that, because I, I use it in this way, that's why I'm not doing it publicly. Mm-hmm. It's like a personal thing. And when, um, well, sometimes I can improvise some little things. I can sit down and play something, something nice I can play at any moment, you know, but it, it wouldn't be a very meaningful stuff. Do you record sometimes some pieces? Yeah. Yeah. So no chance, if I understand that someday the audience will be able to hear that, or maybe under a nickname, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe nickname. Nowadays, one can publish anything on Spotify, right? And so one can, um, you know, take a nickname. And I've toyed with this idea because I recorded these improvisations um, and, and made a selection of them and gave them to my wife as a mm. gift. And so I sometimes, listening back to them many times, I thought, okay, well, maybe I could transcribe this stuff and uh, play it in a concert again. Um, because some of these pieces do sound like something that could be played as a piece. Um, but then, if you would ask me, would I compose? Um, I've tried that too, but I struggle that uh, I cannot make up my mind um, what's the best. I write this and I think, no, you could do better and, and make mm. make another version. Oh no, this is, let's try the third version. And I'm never satisfied. And so it's a pain and it doesn't lead anywhere. So. Improvisation at least happens, and then it's gone. And mm-hmm. 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 but with um, yeah. <laughs> Is there a composer uh, or a particular piece you are hesitating to pick? That there's something that you will hesitating to sorry? to uh, to play. Is it to, to, to play uh, you maybe some future projects of, or are you afraid by a particular composer so far and uh, you know that it's come later um, I've before the pandemic started I almost pulled myself together to learn Messian's um, catalog of birds mm-hmm. and that's a um, three hour piece maybe three and a half hour piece um, and it's it's very complex very difficult thing to do 
I, I learned part of it and I played it for friends and then everything closed. The mm. pandemic came. Mm. I even had uh, two dates to perform it and just didn't come to anything. So now I've forgotten all of that and it, it will take a lot of time to bring back. I, I, I'd like to have a date with that because I need a date to do it. It's so mm. hard. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is... Um, well, that's in a sense much easier. Still, you know, Stravinsky wrote this um, Rite of Spring, mm-hmm. yeah. and everyone knows the music more or less, um, parts of it at least, but it's almost never played by a solo pianist because it's so much stuff there. There's like everything, the whole orchestra is playing most of the time, and it's very you know, heavy and loud and all over the place. There is a version that I found that is very close, that it kind of reaches most of the things, but it requires the third hand, and I don't... I haven't grown my third hand yet, so... (laughs) It's something that I'd, I'd like to learn, because it's very effective, as I see it in the score and I try to play it, but it just takes a lot of time to do. And some sections just need to be reworked in that edition Mm -hmm. because they skip too many important things to be able to play something. But I need those things, so I have to find a way to play everything at the same time. (laughs) And so, well, a forehand version is very popular, so... Mm two hands it should be close enough but it's very very difficult but very powerful i don't know i mean nowadays with this whole situation in the world that it feels like um wanting to play russian music is difficult you know for promoters they are kind of a little bit like oh maybe it's not the right time do you have something else and so uh, i don't know <laughs> so i i keep that also on, on my to-do list, but not not yet, not just today. We won't stop reading Dostoevsky to understand human nature. <laughs> so, well, that's one of the bad things of this war. And that's, yeah. I think it's temporary, of course, this kind of attitude, because people will understand that without Dostoevsky we, we are nowhere. We don't understand the thing. Yes. Um, but with with text it's different with music music is so abstract in a sense and then it's it's not abstract and so it carries stories and carries overtones extra musical overtones for people and so it's it's not that easy and what about the uh, concerto in G by uh, Ravel mm-hmm. Well, uh, I, I would be curious to uh, hear you and listen to you uh, playing it. With the, it's. Uh, what does it mean for you that piece? A lot of things. A lot of things. It is. Um, it is. It can be in France or about some reviewers. It can be a bit controversial. Uh, because you, we used to have this very typical standard interpretation by Sanson François. 
And it was a great interpretation, but I think we can do really something else now. And that's the question is, some interpretation are still interesting, valuable, and shall remain as records. But uh, we can have a fresh view in present time about a piece of music that has been written at the beginning of, well, 20th century. Also, the concerto in D for the left hand is something that I, uh, I find meaningful. Well, connected for me for, to a lot of things. And there is, um, there is a, a moment of melancholia and, and, and also joys and creativity uh, in this particular concerto in G. In the, the uh, Adagio Asai is, uh, I think, well, I, I, I it's sincerely, I hear you bringing something to, uh, to this piece of music. Hmm. Well, thank you. That's very, very interesting that you mentioned a very specific piece. Um, I have played it, actually. Oh. Um,
for me, Concerto in G, the most special is, of course, the slow, slope movement. And mm. Um, mm. for me, it's, it's, it's perfect. I mean, it, it couldn't have anything different there. It's just perfect. And it's like the whole life is in there, in very few words, it seems. Mm. So it's an it's unforgettable piece, and uh, I wish I could play it more often. But I mean, with orchestras, you it's it's not as easy. You know, you cannot get mm-hmm, to play mm-hmm. it that often. And I've played the left hand concerto also. But what I remember about the left hand also is the cadenza, which is quite um, melancholic. And so we were talking about future concert, maybe future pieces of music you will play is there any uh, future records that is um, scheduled after this one at uh, Ondin label well uh, not scheduled but uh, in the planning yes so Messian's 20 regards at and the newborn Christ it's something that I've played in many years and I have a particular relationship with the piece Mm-hmm. And it's played rarely, and it's still played only by very few people. So I hope that that will come to recording as well. And then this Pelletis music. Um, um, I mean, there are several Latvian composers whose music could actually be put in a album of just their music. And so I'm planning these things at the moment. Um, and also trying to understand what to do with Vasque's album because it's released, but then how do you, mm-hmm. how do you, what would you make of it? And, and so, so, yeah. But recording, as I already said, is not the the primary thing that I'm looking for, um, and so um, I need to be reminded that one one needs to do some CDs as well, you know, <laughs> because I'm quite absorbed with the. Um, performances and so. well, my last question uh, will be um, you, you mentioned things about um, early memories of you playing piano with your mom but what is your earliest memory uh, about connected to sound or music in your childhood there, there's always I mean I lived in a, in a flat uh, on the top floor, fourth floor, quite high up ab- above the houses all around. I could see very far off, see the sunsets and sunrises. Um, and especially winters are so long here. Mm. And, and you know, this, this little, to be honest, in English, I don't know this bird's name, but Zilita. <clears throat> and this bird, this tiny little bird with kind of bluish and yellowish um, tummy, um, is a very beautiful little bird for a spirit. And it, it comes in winter time, and we fed it, and um, them, many of them. And they have this very small little motif, melodic that they sing, but um, it's always the same, similar to cuckoo. Yeah, and just a kind of narrower interval. And um, because we fed these birds, then we heard them sing uh, a lot. And 
I don't know if that's the first thing, but I, that's something that I heard a lot at home from the very, very beginning. And yeah, now that I want to play Messian's catalogued Oiseau, <laughs> it's interesting that I, 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 I see those French birds there. And there's not this one that I just talked about, um, but there are so many that I recognize and I, I really want to make them sound like they are. In, in, in real life, um, so. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Thank you for being with us. I think uh, we heard that now uh, how far, how much you are involved inside performing, and uh, that was a great moment. Thank you, Joe. If you enjoy listening to this program, don't forget to subscribe. Share on social network, that's the best way to help the growth of this channel. Don't forget that Vienna Balsi is also a YouTube channel. Thanks for listening and you will hear from us very soon.